Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. Wow, the Lord really connected with me there. I'm kind of emotional here at the moment, so bear with me. Just remembering over the years, all the different times and how easy it is to forget along the way, but that you alone, you alone are my heart's desire. Um, And that's really true, but sometimes you find yourself not thinking about that, right? In fact, our sermon today is going to challenge us about that, I think. So Glenda and I like to go hiking. Um... We enjoy getting out and going places that we haven't been before, hike and, and uh, see things. And, and typically she can hike a lot farther than me. I try not to let on about that, but I just told you all on the internet. <clears throat> um, but so one of the things that, that I like to do, and she does sometimes with me, we'll watch uh, videos on YouTube of people who are hiking like through hikes, you know, the Appalachian Trail or Continental Divide Trail, Pacific Crest, or even some other longer trails, you know. And watching, like I was reminded um, just the other day, watching this hiker, and early on in the Pacific Coast Trail in the desert, all of a sudden there is a rattlesnake in the trail. And it was, oh, this is the, our first rattlesnake. <laughs> and you think about, maybe if, when you go places, you go travel through areas that you're not from, right? There's things you need to know. You find it because there are usually something in that area that you may not be aware of that will hurt you, do you serious harm. Um, so I was thinking about some of those things. This doesn't sound like some serious harm, but mosquitoes. We, we, last Sunday night, uh, we had the Moorway sisters talking about their missions trip to Alaska and talking about the mosquitoes. Multiple times they talked about the mosquitoes. Uh, you have to be prepared to fend them off, right? There are a number of places that would claim the mosquito as a state bird. Mm-hmm. If you say, yeah. you know, New Hampshire does that. Um, Maine, Minnesota, Wisconsin, Alaska all claim mosquito as their state bird. <clears throat> now, grizzly bears. And let me back up now. If you're visiting southwestern United States, you've got to look out for tarantulas. Now, they say... I read, they say they aren't really dangerous to humans, but I'm not buying it, okay? They're spiders and they look really scary. And so, you know, if, you, if you're going to the Southwest, you gotta be aware, you're probably gonna run across some of those. Now, grizzly bears frequent the states of Alaska, Wyoming, Montana, Idaho, Washington, and possibly some places in Colorado. And grizzly bears will eat you just for fun. So avoid them, okay? Polar bears. If you, if, you, if you go travel into the Arctic areas, polar bears are there, and they will eat you too, not just for fun, but because they think you taste good. Now, if you're visiting Florida, and you're going to go hiking down there, you should know that crocodiles are all over Florida. Okay? And they are the heaviest and biggest reptiles found on the earth today. They are aggressive, and they are known to go looking for trouble. Seriously. And here's some fun news. Some crocodiles can climb trees. 
Okay. They thrive in both fresh and salt water. They move quickly on land. In fact, if you see a, a, a crocodile, you, you come around a corner and there's a crocodile there 30 feet away. That crocodile can cover that 30 feet in less than two seconds. That's about the time I'm starting to think to run. <laughs> They're even faster in water. They have superior vision. They, they are really good at tracking movement and they're well camouflaged. Uh, they're considered one of the most dangerous predators on earth. They are, they're expert hunters. Now, crocodiles can go to be more than 20 feet long and weigh over 2,000 pounds. That's the weight of some of our small cars. Their average lifespan is 70 to 100 years. So if one of them gets a grudge against you, they're going to be around for a while. So here, I, why, why do crocodiles attack humans? They, they list these following reasons. First, they say they are hungry. They're defending their territory, or they're defending their children, or they, they said sometimes it's a case of mistaken identity. Like, oh, I'm sorry, I thought you were food. I, they're known to attack or strike out just because something is near. They might even, it says, regularly prey on humans. And their bite force rivals that of what they think the T-Rex had. Okay? An average lion's bite force is 1,000 uh, pounds per square inch. That's massive, right? The crocodile is 3,700 pounds per square inch. And once they get a hold, they tend not to let go. So I would say to you, those of you who plan to retire and move to Florida might want to rethink that plan. <laughs> or those of you who are headed to Florida in a few weeks. But the point is that when you're traveling someplace that's not where you're from, you know, it's not your home, you're traveling a different place, that there are things that can hurt you and things that can get you. Well, believe it or not, Peter talks about that. The Lord through Peter. So let's go to 2 Peter. Because the moment you receive Christ as Savior, this world is no longer your home. You have now become a person who's on the way to somewhere else. As the Bible says, we are citizens of heaven. That's where our citizenship is ultimately. And yes, we live on earth and we're, we're citizens of our country and all that, but there's a greater reality for us as believers and that's that this is not the place we're settling down. We're on the way to somewhere. And we have a mission to accomplish while we're on the way. And so here in, in 2 Peter chapter 2, and this is page 1392 in the Bible under the chairs there. As always, we encourage you to follow along. Starting verse number 11. Peter says, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. So let's just let's talk about this a little bit, and then we'll begin applying it to our lives. So he calls him beloved, and he says, I beg you. How important does Peter think this is? I am what? Begging you. This is important. And then he says, because you are sojourners and pilgrims, sojourners, the idea of a foreigner living in a, for, in a country that's not his or hers, uh, a pilgrim is someone who is not from a place but is traveling through. So he's making it very clear that this world isn't, you know, where we are going to end up. 
He says, there's some things you need to know about where you're traveling through. And that's that there are fleshly lusts that will damage you. Just as I said, you know, the, these, these uh, you know, grizzly bears and rattlesnakes. That, guess what? In, as Christians, there are things that will harm us in this world if we expose ourselves to them without realizing it. And so he says, abstain from those things, from fleshly lusts, which they war against the soul. So when Peter's using the word soul here, the word soul uh, can mean a few different things. But so one of the things that it means is we think of if we're a human beings and we have a body, we live in a body, we have a soul, we are spiritual beings. Okay, and the moment we receive Christ as Savior, we become spiritually alive, and that, that spiritual part of us, God moves in, and then our soul, our mind, our will, our emotions, our sort of personality kinds of things, and then we have a body that we live in, okay? And, but that's one way that the word soul is used. It's also used to, sometimes to refer to just the whole person, just a human being, a soul, and we see this when, when uh, God creates Adam. Do you remember the story? He creates Adam, says he formed him uh, from the ground. And then it says he breathed into him the breath of life and Adam became a living soul, a living human being. And so soul can uh, mean either of those. And I think either way we look at that here uh, will be fine. But he says that fleshly lust, and we'll talk about what those are in a little bit, will do war against your soul. If someone is at war with you, they do not mean you good, do they? When someone's at war with you, they mean evil towards you. They intend to hurt you. They intend to possibly try to steal your life, kill your life. And so just let me say this. The moment, and this is our, our timeline here, right? Here's the timeline. And so here's, here's the time before I receive Christ as Savior. Okay, and so I'm going through life here. And uh, before I receive Christ as Savior, what is Satan's desire toward me? His desire is that I would never come to Christ, right? That I would live my life my own way, committing sins as we all do, and die in that condition and then be separated from God forever in hell. That's his desire. Okay. So I come along. By God's grace, he works in my life. And on April 4th, 1975, about 9.30 at night, I, I, it just comes so clear. I receive Christ as Savior. I open up my heart, my mind to him, and say, I believe, I trust, I receive Christ as Savior. At that moment, every sin is forgiven. I receive eternal life. And God himself moved in. Satan, I, I, he has no direct say anymore. Okay, so that means that he said, oh, well, and, and then walked away and left me alone, right? No. I say Satan, demons, his world system, all of that stuff together. No, the idea, his goal now for me is to make me unproductive for God. His goal now is to rob me of being fruitful for the Lord and having a relationship with the Lord that we sing about, right? He, so he continues working my life. And this is where this fleshly lust comes in. And he says that they are going to war against your soul. They're going to, he wants to do damage to you. He wants to make you ineffective. He wants to make you numb to the things of God. Okay? And so Peter's warning. This is something that as we travel through this life, we need to be aware of. And, and how important does he think it is? He does what? He begs. Begs for them to think about this. To be alert to it. Pay attention. 
So it wars against your soul. And then verse 12, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles. And so what he's saying here is that fleshly lust will keep this from happening. Because we ought to have our conduct honorable among the Gentiles. Well, what Gentiles? What he really means here is the unsaved. They were not Jewish people who had come to Christ and they were not believers in Christ yet. So he's talking about the people who don't know Christ. That the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers. Let's stop right there. Have you ever had someone who doesn't know Jesus speak evil of you because you were a Christian? If you've been out there and tried to live openly as a Christian, you've experienced pushback, right? You've experienced the rolling of the eyes. You've experienced the verbal put-downs. And maybe you experienced worse than that. I don't know. But he says that, that when that's happening, he says this. Look, they may, by your good works which they observe... Glorify God in the day of visitation. What does that mean? Well, this, this reference in the day of visitation throughout the Bible, uh, very simply, it just means when God shows up. When God shows up, okay? He showed up in my life, April 4th, 1975. He showed up and, and he was there and he was calling me to receive his son as Savior. And by his grace, I said yes. It can mean that. It's often used with reference to God showing up in judgment. Okay? But either way, here's what he's saying. For these, God's intention is that I live my life and you as a Christian live our lives in such a way that others can see it. That even if they've started off with this opposition and, you know, ah, you stupid Christians and, ah, right? As they see how you live, they go, huh. To the point where God uses your testimony in their lives to where they come to Christ. So that when he shows up, either like he did with me in 1975 and, you know, drew me, that they respond and glorify God by receiving Christ as Savior. Or at this judgment, the day of visitation, which says that they will glorify him, it's because they have been saved. As a result of seeing you and me and how we lived and our testimony and our willingness to share the faith with them. So... Peter is telling us here that these fleshly lusts are going to work against all this. It's going to work against this. So uh, let me say it this way. Here's kind of just to try to sum up what Peter's saying. This fleshly lusts will sidetrack your life. They will harm your soul and rob your influence. So abstain from them. Go ahead and put that up there if you would. All right? Fleshly lust will sidetrack your life. Remember, you're a sojourner and a pilgrim. This isn't where your home is. You're not settling down here. You're, you're headed to heaven. You're living as a citizen of heaven. And fleshly lust will make you not live that way. You'll start living for now. You'll start settling down here in your heart and in your mind. And it will harm your soul. We'll talk about some ways that it does that. And then it will rob your influence. In other words, you won't have this influence where these unsaved people will glorify God because of how you have lived your life. So these, this, these kind of three negative things here, there are three positives that go with this. In other words, God wants your life to be going somewhere, doesn't he? Where is your life going today? When you look at how this, this past week, how you lived your life, right? And you went through life and you made this decision, you did that. Where is it heading? Are you just bumping along and just doing the next thing? Or are you headed somewhere? 
Where, where's God have you going? What's he wanting to do in your life? What's God wanting to accomplish? If you're a parent, what's God wanting to accomplish through you? In, in your children, if you're married, in your marriage, in, in your work, and in your neighborhood, and with your friends, and your extent, where's your life going? God is leading you somewhere, okay? So fleshly lusts will sidetrack you from that, but you need to say, God, where, where do you have me going in life? And if you, know, if you and I had a conversation today and I said to you, so what do you think? Where is God leading you in your life? And you go, I don't know. Well, that would be something to start pursuing him about. God, what do you want me to do? Where you got me heading? What's your goals for me? And we're actually gonna see in our Genesis class today such a good statement in the Old Testament. You say, well, how do I know? Well, there's a guy in the Old Testament who got an assignment and he didn't quite know how to do it and so he starts doing it. And then God works in great ways. And his testimony is that I, being on the way, the Lord led me. And so I wanna challenge you, you be on the way the best you know how, okay? And so you wanna be doing it. God wants your life to be going somewhere. I remember when I came to Christ, <clears throat> a, old, uh, a friend of mine, he was an Italian-Irish cowboy. And he played the guitar and a great testimony for the Lord. And he used to sing the old uh, song, uh, this world is not my home, I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. And we, when we find ourselves feeling really at home, we need to reevaluate, okay? Need to reevaluate. So not only does God want your life to be going somewhere, God wants your soul to be healthy and strong, right? We need to be healthy in, in, in our relationship with Christ and strong in the spirit, right? We, we recognize the spirit's promptings. We recognize Jesus' voice because we're in the word. He wants us to be strong and healthy, okay? And so the scripture, uh, Paul says, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. That is his desire for us, okay? So not only does or he wants our souls to be healthy and strong, God also wants you to influence the world for him. How do you do that? <laughs> well, God wants you to do that. And so we need to be about that, about our Father's business in this. And so the scripture says, let your light so shine. Go ahead if you would go to that. No, nope, we're going the wrong direction there. Now you gotta get back on the template for that to work. There you go. Keep going, yeah. One more. One more. God wants you to influence the world for him. And this is where Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. That's just what Peter's talking about, isn't it? Amen. That by your conduct, how you live your lives day in and day out, it's a light. And, and it ought to be seen as good. And that's what he's talking about here, okay? So, <clears throat> these are the things that the Lord wants for us. And by the way, your light can't shine before man unless you know Jesus as Savior. Right? So we talk about that a lot. And as I talked about in my own testimony, it's, it is crucial that uh, for this, all this stuff eventually to make sense in your life that you have made that decision to receive Christ as Savior. 
And again, that's about acknowledging that we've all sinned before a holy God, that we will stand in judgment for that, but that Jesus, the Son of God, came to earth, lived a perfect and sinless life, died on the cross, paying the penalty for our sins, rises again from the dead. And, and the Bible's quite clear that if we will humble ourselves and admit that that's where we're at, that we are sinful people, that we've fallen short of the glory of God, and because of that we are condemned, but we will choose instead to believe that Jesus is the Son of God who died for our sins and rose again, we can then by faith say, okay, I'm putting my trust in Jesus. I'm trusting what he did for me to take care of my sins. And I'm, I'm really, I'm giving my life to him. I'm surrendering to him for the first time. I belong to the Lord now. And, and he will, like I said, forgive every sin, give us eternal life and move in. So let's talk about fleshly lust now. So fleshly lusts work against us. It really matters, like I said, because Peter, you can see that he begs us to turn away from that. Well, what do we mean by fleshly lusts? Well, the word that's translated lust here is just a simple word that means desire. It can be good or bad. But it's desire, a passionate longing. Sometimes it's translated lust, that idea, because it can be either good or bad, depending on the details of what's going on, right? Uh, as well as what's being desired. Um, so when it's not a good, hang on a second, let me think here. These lusts, these desires, and I say neutral desires, we all have physical bodies that have desires. We desire to eat, right? Anything wrong with that? No, nothing wrong with the desire for eating. So we desire to sleep. Nothing wrong with sleeping. We have a desire for sex, and there's nothing wrong with sex. There's, we have a desire to experience pleasure as opposed to pain, right? All of that is, is fine. Uh, things that aren't physical, that are still soul-related, uh, we have a desire to feel safe and secure. We do. We have a desire to feel significant and like our lives matter in some way. We have a desire to be loved and to love. We have a desire sometimes just to be curious and learn about something. We have these kinds of desires in us. And so these desires are not good or bad in and of themselves. They, they may be fine in and of themselves. But when we attach this word fleshly in front of it, you know, this word flesh, of course, comes with the idea of physical, but what it comes to mean in our conduct, how we think about life, how we live our lives, it means as opposed to the spirit, as opposed to God's ways. So all of these natural desires, sleep, eat, sex, pleasure, avoid pain, you know, significance, security, love, curiosity, whatever it is, all of those things are to be submitted to God. And, and then we fulfill those desires in ways that God says are good and appropriate. And when we turn away from God and we begin to uh, let those desires have a place in our lives that is more important to us than what God says, or we choose to meet those desires in ways that God says don't do it that way, they become fleshly lusts. All right? They're not spiritual. Because... Uh, 
Paul wrote this. He said, for the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another. Spiritual things versus the natural things. There's a conflict between them. So when Peter's talking about fleshly lusts, he's, he's talking about when we sinfully pursue things. I mean, we said eating is a, a natural desire. And so if I eat, I'm not sinning. But you know what I choose to eat? How much I choose to eat might be a sin. The fact of the matter, if I want to eat, so I sneak into your house and steal your food. Because my wife doesn't have any good stuff for me in my house. <laughs> but you understand, I mean, that, see, then makes that evil, doesn't it? It becomes a fleshly lust. A fleshly desire. And we can do the same with, with any of those desires. You know, a desire to feel like, like my life matters, right? that I'm significant. And, and of course, we find that in the Lord, but we can in our lives too look for it other ways. And so maybe I want to feel significant, so I put you down. Right? So what have I just done? That becomes a fleshly lust. So these are the kinds of things that he's talking about. So when we look at life and we think, what are these fleshly lusts? What, where are they? How do we identify them? Because it seems like they can be good things. But not, sometimes they're not good things. How do we decide? Well, a lady named Susanna Wesley lived back in the 1600s. Uh, she had 19 children, nine of which died. And she probably thought she wasn't, didn't have a lot of kids because her mother had 25. Different time, huh? <laughs> different world. But anyway, Susanna Wesley, she's best known as being the mother of John Wesley, who was the founder of the Methodist Church, a revival out of the Church of England, and her, her, his brother, Charles, who wrote a lot of hymns. So she was her, their mother. But she wrote this about uh, of what, what constitutes fleshly lust. She says, whatever weakens your reasoning, impairs the tenderness of your conscience, obscures your sense of God or takes away your relish for spiritual things. In short, if anything increases the authority and the power of the flesh over the spirit, that to you becomes sin, however good it is in itself. It's really insightful. Yeah. Okay? So whatever weakens your reasoning, in other words, if, if, if you are exposing yourself to things that um, ideas ways of life that, that are changing your thinking away from what God says. Okay, that, that's a sinful thing. You need to stay away from it. You know, if it impairs the tenderness of your conscience. In other words, uh, and we're not talking about, let me just, let me take a parenthesis here for everybody, okay? Here's a parenthesis in the sermon. God has no desire to keep us feeling guilty. Promise you. The whole idea of guilt is that He's given us a conscience so that we will know when we've done something wrong, that we'll have that sense of guilt. And that sense of guilt tells us, turn to the Lord. Jesus has paid for this. And I need to turn back to the Lord, right? And, and go His way. And so that's the, guilt is such a short, temporary thing in God's plans for us. So we're not talking about feeling guilty. But God does give us a conscience. And how she say it? She says, it impairs the tenderness of your conscience. Um, it's like a callus. 
You know, we do something physical and, oh, that hurts, right? And maybe you get a little blister or whatever and you keep working and you keep at it and eventually you build up a callus. And what does that, I mean, in our body, that might be a good thing, but what does it mean? That we are not nearly as sensitive there anymore. And so when our conscience gives us a sense of, wait a minute, this isn't right, and we just kind of rub up against it and push back against it, and then it happens again, and we rub up against it and push back against it until finally our conscience develops a callus. Okay? And so when these fleshly lusts are coming, if we build up a callus to those things in our conscience, he says, that's sin. Stay away from it. Don't do it. If it obscures your sense of God, your awareness of God, you know, there's God in your thoughts. Interesting, one of the Psalms talks about the ungodly and it says this, that God is not in all of his thoughts. The implication being that as we as, as followers of the Lord, God ought to be in all of our thoughts. He ought to be just there with us and our, our awareness of him is present. That's something I'm still working on. But that is where we ought to be. And so if you see that something you're doing is, is getting you to where you less and less you're thinking about the Lord and your relationship with him and where he's got you going, what he wants to do, that is sin. Stay away from it. It's a fleshly lust. Or takes away your relish for spiritual things. Yeah, we get the idea, right? I have a desire for spiritual things, but what I'm involved in is kind of numbing that and taking it away. In fact, over the years, and some of you have probably struggled with yourself, but over the years, we've had people who had struggles with sin in their lives, okay? And understandably so, because of where they came from in life, right? No different than the rest of us, but struggling with sin. And they start doing better. And then they, we might use the term fall off the wagon, right? And they don't do well. And they're struggling, and guess what they do? Do they show up at church next Sunday? Very often they don't. They stay away because they feel guilty, they feel blame, whatever. But the idea, and you stay away, and I've talked to people who have gone away and, and let, not been here regularly or in some other church, and they realize that after a while, not attending, not being a part, that their desire for spiritual things also goes down. There's a desire, it's, it's like a fire if you don't keep what? Putting some more stuff in it and giving it some oxygen, it's gonna grow cold. And so if, that, if you're making decisions in your life, then that is fleshly lust, see? That is diminishing your desire for spiritual things. And then just the big picture, if it increases the authority and the power of the flesh over the spirit, you start making choices that are contrary to what God says, or you aren't even thinking about what God says when you're making your choices in life, that is a fleshly lust, that is sin. Okay, that is sin. Well, where does this stuff come from in our lives? Where does it come from? Well, there are some potential sources, or we might even say stimulants of fleshly lust. First is our own thoughts and feelings. We had a lifetime of living one way, and now we're living another. And we got plenty of junk in there that we're continuing to work our way out of. Second thing, people we hang out with and listen to. People we're choosing to spend our time with. Now, if you're gonna spend your time with people who don't know the Lord, you, you know, you, you have to do that. But we just wanna be careful what's going on, right? Am I the missionary here in this relationship or have, am I being evangelized <laughs> by wrong ideas, okay? So the people we hang out with or listen to, books, articles, or posts that we read, okay? Uh, go ahead, 
And then pictures or images we look at, and then movies, videos, TV shows we watch. All these kinds of things are, are potential sources for fleshly lusts, or that will stimulate fleshly lusts. And by the way, you look at this list, you know, for the most part, social media, this is rampant there, isn't it? Now, social media is like any tool, it's like a hammer. Okay? A hammer can be used for good things, to drive nails. You can also hit someone in the head with it. It's a tool, isn't it? Social media is a tool which we ought to figure out how to use for the Lord. But we got to be careful because it can also be used against us. And so we have to be alert to those things, alert to the Lord. We need to pay attention when Peter says, I beg you, abstain from fleshly lusts. Okay, so remember that when you get into social media. So we have all these places where stuff could be coming from. Now, how do we deal with these things? What should our approach be? Okay, well, the wrong approach is to say, well, why shouldn't I do that? And this is, you know, a favorite one of almost every young person who's grown up and trying to figure out, you know, what it's okay to do, what it's not, and what mom and dad think it's okay to do. And we say, well, why shouldn't I? And we can all be guilty because you know what? We say, why shouldn't I? It's not that bad. Well, there's only a little bit of bad stuff in this. Right? There's, uh, I mean, we can talk about this. Starting off with why shouldn't I is the wrong approach. The correct approach is to start off with why should I? Why should I? So let's, let's talk about this, why should I? So uh, go ahead and go to the next slide. Remember, this is the review. This is what's going on. He's saying what's, what flesh and us are going to do to us. And it, it tells us God wants our lives to be going somewhere. He wants our souls to be healthy and strong. And he wants us to influence the world for him. Okay? So these truths, we want to ask then, okay, why should I do something? So let's look at that. Why should I? Okay? Will this help me get where God is leading me? This movie that I'm going to watch, this event I'm going to go to. Maybe it could even be this job I'm going to take. Whatever. All right. Will this strengthen me in ways that God says are important? Okay. And then, is this something God is likely to use to influence others through me? And so we go through and we ask ourselves these kinds of questions. Think, is there some reason for me to do this? As a Christian, I'm going somewhere in life. As Christian, God wants my soul to be healthy and strong so that I can be an influence to the unsaved world around me. That's what God desires for me. Is this going to help with that? And if, let's say you, it's no, no, no. Well, you know what? Find something better to spend your time on. Okay, make that choice. It's not always the choice we feel like making, but it's the choice we ought to make. Now, if we get at least one yes, half yes on these things, at least one of them, we're not done yet. Because now that other question becomes important, and that is why shouldn't I? Are there any reasons why I shouldn't do these things, okay? And we have go through that thing and evaluate, you know, uh, and I'm not going to uh, think too much, but here's the principle from the word. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. Whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Okay? So that's 
That's really where we should be making our decisions. And that's it. It's not the natural way we make decisions, but it's the way we need to make decisions together. Because Paul says, for whatever is not of faith is sin. Which means as you think about this, it's in front of you, what am I gonna do? What are my motives for doing it? Is it gonna accomplish what God wants? Is it gonna work against me? I need to be able to come in good faith before God, believing that yes, this is something that God would have me do. That's, I can do that in faith. And if I can't, then I shouldn't do it. And it's really sin for me because I'm choosing to do something which I cannot rightly justify as a Christian, okay? All right, so Paul says in Romans 13, he says, oh, let's talk about this. So there's, I kind of described that, but when in doubt, don't then. That makes sense? If you're in doubt, just don't. That's your rule, okay? All right. Paul says in Romans 13, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. Don't provide yourself with an opportunity. Well, I think I'll just peruse this stuff and uh, see what's really bad there. Bad choice, right? You're providing the flesh an opportunity to be enticed and pulled, okay? So Peter says, what are we supposed to do with this fleshly lust? What are we supposed to do? What's the word? Abstain. Now we think of that word abstain and um, in, a, in a legislative sense, if someone doesn't vote on something, they what? They abstain. So they, they aren't a part of it. Uh, in sex education, they talk about abstinence or abstains, the idea of not participating. So that's what that means in English. In the word that's translated abstain here in Greek has a little bigger concept to it than that. It does mean to abstain, to say, okay, we're, I'm not going to do that, but it's I'm not going to do that so that I can do this. Okay? I'm not going to do that so I can do this. It's not a just I'm going to resist everything, no, but it's to have something by separating it from something else. In other words, we looked at the statements, right? God wants to... Uh, <clears throat> You know, we're, take us somewhere in life. He wants our souls to be healthy and he wants us to influence others for him. Um, in order to do those things, I must abstain from other things. I have to put those away, okay? Um, so, this idea of fleshly lust will sidetrack your life, will harm your soul, and rob your influence. So abstain from that. Now, if we think this idea of abstain means to what? Put something away. Put those things away so that you can have something else. Here's what Peter's really telling us. He's telling this. Choose to stay on track. Choose to grow a healthy soul. Choose to live an influential life for the Lord. All right, so this isn't just about don't do bad stuff. This is about making a different choice, okay? Choose to stay on track, to grow a healthy soul, and to uh, live an influential life for the Lord. And again, let me say, you can't do this if you've not received Christ as Savior. So I encourage you, just in your heart, even right now, say to God, oh God, that's me, I need to receive Jesus as Savior. I believe, I trust, I receive Christ. If you have questions about that, we'd love to help you answer those questions. But for those of us who are Christians, Abstain, okay? 
Choose what God wants you to do and put aside the rest. And we're going to partake of the Lord's Supper here in just a moment. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we thank you for your word and that you challenge us about these kinds of things. Help us, Lord, in our own lives to just take an honest evaluation of where we're at, what we're exposing ourselves to, what we're spending our time on, how we're making those kinds of decisions in life or maybe not making those decisions just letting them default to fleshly lusts. I pray for your working. Please challenge us, encourage us, and change us for your honor and glory. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.